Welcome to the Secret Sauce of Selling podcast, the ultimate guide and sales gym to unlock you the secrets of successful selling. I'm your host, James Abraham, and I'm excited to be here with you today to share insights, tactics, and strategies to help you take your sales performance and sales leadership game to the next level. And this week, I've got David Trapani from the Sounder Network. Uh, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me on, James. Appreciate it. Awesome. Great to have you. And today's topic is creating urgency in the sale. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think in the world of sales, it's interesting, whether it's a client of ours or a prospect um, that maybe I'm talking to, the number one question I get is, how do I get the prospect to take action? And, and ultimately, that leads to urgency. How do we create that urgency so that their prospects are compelled to actually take action and move forward with them. Yeah, I hear a lot of, uh, of of people that I talk to, prospects that come to us, and they're always saying, well, they're getting lots of think it overs, lots of we'll talk in a couple of weeks, lots of we, we're not really sure, or it, it looks great, but, but, and that but word is, um, so, so let's unpack that for a second. I mean, most people struggle with this stuff. Isn't it the way of the world? Don't aren't buyers hardwired to do that? Just to not commit and just to drag things out. I mean, I, I know I know we do it as buyers too sometimes. Yeah. It's actually a great question because yeah, it is it is part of the buyer's process to really delay and slow down uh making that final decision. And I think that that creates the biggest gap. Since we're always doing that, here's what happens in a sales call. Non-Sandler trained folks go in, and when a prospect says, hey, give me a week or give me another couple of weeks to think about this, they perceive that as moving the deal forward. And what I love about Sandler is what we've identified is that may actually be a warning sign that the deal is not moving forward. So I think mm. that most salespeople do believe that is the way of the world, and it's not. It shouldn't be that way. So what should be the way of the world? Well, I think pretty <laughs> well, if we can get this right, really, it's it, if we can be comfortable with getting to a no, that makes mm -hmm. this conversation much easier. If we're comfortable with no, then sometimes when we hear some of those signals, what we can do is push back in a nurturing way back to the prospect to, to try to validate, is that delay, is that holdout? a no in disguise and ask that question. I think the second thing is something that we call the upfront contract at Sandler, but creating clear next steps and clarity in the sales process. Can you give us an example? Yeah, I'll give you, um, I can probably give you thousands of examples. When we look at the upfront contract, uh, having taught it thousands of times to thousands of people, I think it sounds very simple in that what we're trying to do is create stickiness from step to step to step. Now, in the Sandler methodology, there, there's a couple of wrinkles in it. It's not as simple as that. But if we keep it relatively basic, what we're trying to do is glue together or thread together every step of the sales process. Many salespeople will tell me, oh, I do that already. But the reality is most salespeople don't. And what I mean by that is, James, let's imagine you and I were working on a piece of business. You were my prospect. And you said you were going to send me over some data next week. Um, and, and I want, you know, I need that data to put together the proposal. 
I would actually schedule a calendar time for you to either A, send me over that information or B, where we review it so that we don't have this drop off in attention or that threading starts to go by the wayside. Yeah, I, I have this rule. You know, you know, you know, they say time kills deals, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I have a, I have a rule. Time kills memory. Yes. Time kills memory, and then the deal dies. Oh, yeah. If it ain't get and done in the first 24 hours, it ain't get done. 100%. And, and think about this. When we, when we don't thread those meetings together, time gets extended because then we have to figure out when we are going to meet. So what I recommend to everybody is schedule when you're with that prospect all the time. Put that next step, whatever it is, if it's a small event or a big event, schedule that. Um, and then to your point about the time element, um, kills memory. I've had a lot of salespeople go, you know what? I met with this individual three weeks ago. He or she completely forgot what we were talking about. Well, there's that time element. And then you've got to have a process to reinvigorate why it was you were getting back together. Can I can I share another observation? Do you know why the do you know why the prospects forget? Here's another great piece of science. This is all science here, backed by science. The reason the prospects forget two to three weeks down the line is because the salesperson was doing most of the talking. And prospects will own people, humans will only remember 20% of what someone has said. And so imagine you someone giving you a message. And, and then asking you to wait, and you wait three weeks to can reconnect. You won't, we won't remember. This is not being a good prospect, a bad prospect, a good uh, salesperson. This is science. It's human nature. It's human nature. So I think my question to you, Dave, is why do they not do this stuff? Why do they crack under pressure? Why do they let them go? Why do they hang up the phone before locking in that next step? Is that because they're, they're lazy, because they're stupid, because they don't care, or because they don't know? I think it's more of the latter. They don't know what to do. And because there's a perception of, hey, this is how all prospects operate. I'm going to do the same thing. Um, back to your point on that that 20% retention rate. By the way, unaware of that. So so love, love learning new things. When I hear that, it immediately triggers the, the really the, the details within that upfront contract. You know, think about when you go to that next meeting, or even better said, when you're leaving a meeting. And somebody says to you, hey, I've got these three issues. When we get back together, we're going to talk about them. Um, if I'm the salesperson and hopefully not doing too much talking, what I am doing before I leave that meeting is a very simple tactic. I call it, we all call it summarize and validate. Hey, I think I heard from you. These are the three issues we're going to be talking about. Do I have that right? Maybe get the prospect to repeat it. Hopefully yeah. that embeds it a little bit more in the memory cycle back to that next meeting a couple of weeks down the road, open up with that same statement. Hey, the last time we spoke, these were the three issues. Has anything changed since the last time we spoke? That should, I would hope, drive up some of those signals that, yes, now I know why we're together. I love it. This is a great technique right there. Um, I like to back that technique up with a little bit of, of mindset, a little bit of attitude, maybe a little bit of behaviors. Uh, and so what is the number one component that is, and from your point of view, a sales professional requires or should should have in order to execute what you've just described? 
You know, I, I, I love that you brought up the fact of, you know, behavior, attitude, whether it's technique. We can give you all the technique in the world. This element of doing what we're talking about here, creating that stickiness, trying to drive up that urgency, sits really between the ears. It, it's much more attitude. Because I think when, when we're yeah. teaching this, logically, salespeople go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. That's, oh, yeah. It's not as if it's earth-shattering news. But now that they know it, they still struggle to execute because between the ears, oh, this might disrupt the conversation. This feels a little bit different. Until you can break through that, we probably aren't doing that on a consistent basis. Awesome. So let me just unpack this uh, a little further. So creating urgency, let me see if I get this right. Okay, you're telling me that creating urgency is important, right? And we all know that. We all want commitments. And what you're saying is that we create urgency by bringing up the important issues at the beginning and at the end of the discussion and, and locking them in in order to make sure that something's happening. Is that right or did, did, did I leave anything no. out? So spot on. And I love the term locking them in. If you think about it of a, of a sandwich, front end, back end, secure it and get the prospect to do the talking. Yeah. Make sure it's yeah, coming and, out of their mouths. And, and, and for the listeners and viewers, that was a, val a summary and a validation right there, wasn't it? I mean, that's what it sounded like. And at the end of the day, I think what we really want to do is help our buyers. And, you know, there's something interesting. I, I tell this to my clients. Your prospects and to anyone out there listening, your prospects, your buyers, and no offense to anyone out there. I say this with all due respect. They don't know how to buy from you. Mm -hmm. How many times does someone buy a house? How many times? Does someone buy a, a, a CRM? How many times does someone buy a kitchen? How many times does someone buy a company? Now, they don't do it that often. One of the most, I think one of the most um, powerful questions you should be asking a buyer at the beginning is, have you ever bought anything like this before? Ooh, great question. Yeah, because if they have, then you'll know what type of, what you're describing here, the upfront contracts and that what will create urgency, can you can then unpack that and figure out, okay, what would create urgency in this scenario? And if they've never bought, bought it before, then wow, I mean, I want to know about that. So who's the expert, the buyer who's never bought it before or the seller who sells it every day? Why fall, into their, why fall into their, into their process if we're, we're supposed to be the ones that know what we're doing? So, and I love that fact that uh, it's really just locking it in and, and as you mentioned, uh, summer, and I like summarizing, validating at the beginning. I mean, that's super powerful. That's super powerful. Super. Yep. So, so, so let me ask you this. Um, when looking at sellers these days, and I, I, I'd like to talk about sales leadership. I'd like to take this up a notch. When looking at sales mm -hmm. leadership, um, and, you know, some of these challenges that sellers have um, in creating urgency, what is your number one, um, the number one topic that sales leadership should have in mind when coaching or supervising their people when it comes to creating urgency? Oh, you know, I, I think the, the biggest challenge in creating urgency from sales leadership is the gap of either paying attention to how to coach uh, through a deal or knowing what to ask to coach the salesperson through a deal. Well, and what do you, what do you believe a good sales leader requires from a, uh, from a, 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 I'd say a competency perspective, a trait perspective in order 
to actually follow through on those things. I, I know we're kind of touching, we're going to twilight zone here. So anyone listening yeah, to this, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. If you're a, if you're a salesperson, you want to, you want to continue listening. If you're, if you're a leader, you want to continue listening, but please don't get upset at some of the stuff yeah. that might come up here. Yeah. You know, from, from a company, a competency standpoint, one of the things that I see all the time, James, is somebody gets lifted into that leadership role because of their sales results. And, and I see a tremendous gap in learning and training in the, in the leadership space. So, mm -hmm. so what does that mean? That means that whatever worked for that sales leader, that's what they're going to apply, um, which doesn't work for everybody. It's often not baked in or based on a real process, studied scientifically to understand what to do. So when it comes time to either move a deal forward or something is stuck, sales leaders say, well, this is what I would have done, number one. Number two is they often don't allocate enough time to the coaching component. So therefore, they might give a little bit of instruction and then hope and pray that that salesperson goes off and does whatever it was they spoke to them. Really got to have tactics, really got to have strategies, which leads me back to your initial question, competencies. Um, there, there's so many we can identify, but one that I see from a leadership perspective, learning agility, the willingness mm -hmm. to learn new ways to approach how I've done things before. And organizations and people and leaders with that competency, in my observation, tend to do better. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, learning agility is important for everyone. And it's just so similar to, you know, we say stop, you know, stop telling, start selling, you know, selling and telling. And then with leadership, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, stop telling, start leading. And, and yep. leading means leading from the front. And it means working on themselves and, and, and really kind of getting being open to that, that agility, to the new stuff uh, and trying new things and implementing and coaching their people to success uh, yeah. and, and, and on that path to success. Um, I got to ask you, uh, David, what is your, uh, what is your uh, uh, secret sauce of selling? So, so as we're talking about urgency and upfront contracts, where I really, where I see, you know, a secret sauce or my secret sauce is what I call creating scarcity. So, so what, what does that mean? Well, we sell products. And by the way, most of my clients, with a handful of exceptions, sell products that are commoditized. There's unlimited. They're always available. It's not like we only have three more um, life insurance policies on the, on the shelf. So hurry up and get one. We don't have yeah. that ability. And we do know scarcity creates fear of missing out, supply and demand issues. So from a selling perspective, if I don't have a product that does that, well, then I, as the salesperson, have to take on that scarcity approach. And how do I create scarcity in sales? Well, things like not always being available. If, for example, if a prospect says, hey, I've got an opportunity for you. Can you be out here tomorrow? Most salespeople go, absolutely. It can be there whenever you need me. Creating a little bit more demand for yourself might sound something like, hey, did you say tomorrow? Let me look at my calendar. I've got plenty of things going on. Let me see when I can squeeze you in. So doing things that may be a little bit counterintuitive to traditional selling so that you look like you're more in demand, maybe even more than you are, are actually in demand. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's genius. I mean, for those who know, you know, strip lining. But what I liked about what you said here is, you know, that word scarcity is a word that I'm going to be honest in my career. I've. I've always said, oh, we don't talk about scarcity. We talk about abundance. 
right? <laughs> we're abundance mindset, no scarcity. We're not scarcity. But what right. you're saying is you want to not be afraid of scarcity, but you want to be comfortable to use scarcity as a behavior. Is that what you're saying? 100%. And I love the I way love you that. framed it because, yeah, I love the way you framed it, James, because this idea is I am, I have, I am so abundant with all the work that I've got that my demand level is off the charts. And, and I've observed this with, with clients who came on board, had tremendous success with us right out of the gate. And I'm speaking, thinking of one individual who six months after joining Sandler legitimately ran out of capacity to deliver and started telling prospects. He raised his prices significantly and started telling prospects, I can take you on, but it's not going to be for another three or four months. I'm fairly certain his close rate is close to 100%. And it was unintentional. I mean, it's right behind right behind the pendulum, but there's that scarcity. He's in demand and prospects are going, got to do business with this guy. I'll wait. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, yeah, basic supply and demand, isn't it? And, and at the end, of, and well, I think it all goes down to emotion, right? I mean, just separate your emotion. And, and, and the, the concept, I think it's actually quite, it's a, it's a fun concept saying, I'm going to come in with a scarcity mindset. Cause again, we're always brought up saying no scarcity, right? Be abundant and all this other stuff and law of attraction. And but what you're saying is you're saying use scarcity as a vehicle. For ultimate abundance. So you got to be comfortable with scarcity in order to have an abundance. Uh, 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 and that requires an abundance mindset, by the way, in my opinion. I mean, there's no way you could do this if, if, it, if it's not. Yeah, if you don't have that. This is good. 100, yeah, 100%. And I think within that similar, another tactic is being comfortable with no. So, hey, James, we have awesome stuff here. You may not be a great fit for us. That line to me creates that, that mental. I've got so much stuff going on that we are selective in who we work with as a salesperson. And what does that do to a prospect? Hey, wait a second. I need to talk to this guy. I got to do business with them. And the mindset is so critical here. And, and it's true. You know, I want to say, you know, I, I have a client and they were just struggling business uh, CEO. They, they were all struggling. With, I think it was really happening from the top. I always say it, you know, I always say companies, if they have a sales, CEOs call me and James have a sales problem. And I don't think you have sales problem. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's sales. What, what do you mean? I said, well, my sales people are not selling. I said, well, how can I tell you? Like, what I'm sensing is that might be just a symptom of the problem. And we all know at the end of the day, it all, it all levels out to the top. Um, and this CEO said to me, you know, I, I, need, I need to sell to everybody. James, we, we got to survive. And I said to myself, oh my, well, first of all, you might want to change that word. <laughs> Right. I mean, and, 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 and I said to him, I said, look, everyone, everyone, uh, everyone is your, if you're, everyone should be your customer, but not everyone should be your customer. So everyone should be your customer. Everyone, everyone could be your customer, but not everyone can sure. be your customer. And I think it's that mindset of, of, of knowing, first of all, there's enough, I always say this, there's enough business out there for everybody. There's enough business out there for everybody. They're People will continue yeah. to buy and continue to do business and continue to grow. Um, but it's, it's, it's that mindset that really put, pulls them back. And from a leadership perspective, I think what you've mentioned is super important because if it, it needs to trickle down from, from, from the top. So if, 
if, if higher leadership have the mindset of it's okay to go for the no first, then, then that will start to, that the culture will be in a place where, wait a second, we need to sell for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. And then the right business will come in. Is, is that, I mean, there's the last thing anyone needs to sell is remotes. You know, you know, James, it's funny because you said, hey, what's the number one thing you see from leaders? And I've got 17 different number ones because here's a here's another one. You know, when when we're teaching and, and we start to uh, put out into the into the learning uh, world, hey, no is a good outcome at Sandler. As a matter of fact, you might want to tell your prospects they may not be a good fit. And then sometimes leaders go, wait a second. You're, you're telling my guys to say no. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. To your point, everybody can become a customer. Everyone should be your customer. You've got great stuff. But you have the right as a salesperson to pick and choose who's your best fit. Exactly. Yeah, so spot on there. Love it. Awesome. David, this has been great. Thank you so much. Um, I think we can can talk for hours and hours. And uh, we've covered so much in such little time. Um, I think my question uh, I'd love to ask is, is there anything that you're listening to, reading, watching? It could even be a movie, anything that kind of caught your eye recently um, that you would uh, want to share with the listeners and the viewers? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that that, that I've recently picked up on. One is, and I'm going to get the name incorrect, but it's Robert Cialdini, I think. Um, Cialdini, C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I, talks a lot about the psychology of fear of missing out and scarcity. That's been pretty impactful. And I have not watched this series, but I've been pulling clips from a series called Mad Men. Um, and I think it's about a marketing agency. Um, and and the, the head sales guy is using a lot of these attitude type techniques, closing his folder and saying, hey, we're not ready to do business here. But totally as a salesperson, taking control and setting that mindset that we can be different and that we have the right as salespeople to make choices on who we work with. Yeah, I, I love this. This is, yeah, spot on. I heard this really good. I was just having a discussion and, and this this example came up and someone was struggling with what we're talking about. And I said, well, let, let me ask you a question. Let's pretend, I don't know, Elon Musk and Bill Gates go out of business. All right, and Jeff Bezos. And they, get, they have to go, you have to get into sales to make a living. How do you think they'll behave? How do you think they'll perform? Who do you think they'll call on? Will they be needy? Will they be pushy? (laughs) Will they let people think it over and follow up? Will they call on non-decision makers? Or will they go right to the top and say, look, we're not a good fit for everybody, but I mean, would it make sense for us to have a conversation? Imagine that. Think think of that. Dave, this has been super. Thank yeah, you, thank you so for much. having me on. I appreciate it. Yep. Got to have you back. And uh, I wish you all the very best. And to our listeners, before I go, one quick shout out to Novacy for sponsoring us. Novacy um, unlocks behavioral insights from in virtual meetings to close more deals. And uh, it's, it's AI is awesome uh, for sales intelligence re- re- uh, records. It analyzes and, and provides insights on body language, verbal communication, emotion, and it just provides so much of what's going on because there are so many moving parts in sales today. Sometimes we really need to have something that can help us out. So uh, thanks to Novacy for sponsoring us. Dave, you're awesome. To the listeners and viewers, no guts, no gain. Whatever you do, make sure you take a little bit of a step back. Don't be needy and a good selling.